to Totalus Rankium. This week, Round 6 Total Score. Hello, and welcome to Roman Emperor's Totalus Rankium. I am Jamie. And I am Rob, and this is round six of the rounds, and it's also the total score. Why are you laughing, Jamie? You sound Why are you so ill. You're trying <laughs> to hide it. I'm not ill. I'm not ill. I'm full of, of of beans. Full of beans, and actually I'm not full of anything, because if I eat at the moment, it might just come Ugh. back up. But no. hey, our listeners don't need to know about that, no. do, do they? No, no, no. And I'm determined that these six rounds are going to come out one week after another, <laughs> so we, we're doing it anyway, Jamie. Rock on. We are. So here we are. Uh, it's round six. It's the final of the rounds. Yeah. But as ever, before we go through and discuss who is finally going to go through, let's look at the total score. Arguably the most interesting of all of the uh, stats. Yeah. Yeah, which I, I say the most interesting. It's slightly le- uh, less climactic, anticlimactic, you could say, uh, because we have already discussed some of this before, but uh, we've not we've not discussed the dynasties, have we, Jamie? Oh, hell no. I love the dynasties. Oh, no. The dynasties, well, here we go. Do you want to know who the worst dynasty was? Um, the one that failed at everything. I've forgotten their names. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Good guess. Well, actually, no, you tell me. How do you want me to do it? Shall I just go through the dynasties in chronological order and tell you how well they did, or shall I do a reverse order from 13th down to 1st. Reverse order, that sounds quite fun, because you haven't done that Re- yet. Okay, let's do reverse order. Our worst dynasty in terms of total score, perhaps unsurprisingly, is the Nikephron dynasty. That's the one. The poor Nikephrons, you could argue they got more unlucky than anything else. Uh, one of them got beheaded, the other one got mostly it's beheaded. Yeah, um, Strachius had half a head for most of his rule. There was someone else who didn't really want to be doing it. There was only three of them. Yeah, they scored, on average, 6.2. Wow. The whole dynasty. 0% of them got Gene Caesar, <laughs> which is the only it's the only dynasty in Series 2 that scored, that got no Gene Caesars whatsoever. So there you go. They are our last place. And I have been... Mocking the Angelos dynasty this whole time, as mm. some people have been picking up on her, but turns out they weren't the worst, and that Kefrons were the worst. Take it back. I am taking it back, but not much. Um, <laughs> well, 12th. 12th uh, is not the Angelos dynasty. Ooh. It is what you'd expect to be worst, which is the 20 year anarchy. Yeah. 20 year anarchy, 20 years, uh, five emperors, not including Justinian II, utter chaos. A average score of 7.65. Oh dear. Um, but 20% of them got Jeanne Caesar. Mm. That was obviously Theodosius III. That's mm. our uh, reluctant emperor. Uh, so they were 12th in 11th place. Here we go. Here are the Angelos dynasty. They just weren't very good. Uh, <laughs> they scored 10.82. That's what you get for, for, seeing, for overseeing the fall of the empire. Mm. Uh, 20% of them got Jeanne Caesar, and that mm. was Alexios IV for just being awful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he was yeah. pretty bad. So, our top ten. In tenth place is the Ducas dynasty. That's a shame. 11.7, 20% of them with a Gene Caesar. Mm. In ninth place, we have the Paleologos. Considering they were the ones to literally see the fall of the Empire. Um, Came out surprisingly well. But they put a lot of effort in, didn't well. they? 
They tried hard. They were triers. They did try hard, uh, and they weren't actually too bad, with an average score of 21.08. Wow. I mean, they managed to get into the 20s club. Yeah. 33% of them scored Genesis R, and there were 12 of them. So that's a good few Genesis Rs. Uh, then we go to eighth place, the Macedonian dynasty, which might surprise some people. The longest dynasty by far with 20 emperors that mm. we counted uh, but a lot of soft cooing was going on yes we have some of our best emperors in the Macedonian yeah. dynasty we had the best basil too for example basil. but we also had a lot of also rans so mm. their total sorry their average score is 23.39 a quarter of them 25 percent get jenny Caesar, and wow. out of 20 that's not too bad yeah that's so, almost like five yeah i mean yeah could argue the macedonian's slightly hard done to there but what happens when you got some duds in your mix? Uh, then we go to seventh place. The very first one's the Leonid Dynasty with 23.71 average score. 50% was Jeanne Cesar. Not bad. There's only two of them. <laughs> True. <laughs> but it's 50%, damn it. And that's the stat they will use. Uh, sixth place is the Isaurian Dynasty with a score of 24.45. And 33% of them get Chenet Caesar. Mm. Not bad. Then we go into fifth place. Oh. Our fifth place dynasty is the Lascaris dynasty, the Exiled Emperors. Fifth place for the Exiled Emperors. Very mm. impressive there. Yeah. Average score of 24.5. Notice how the scores are getting really close now. They are. We're getting a lot in the early to mid-20s. Yeah. Uh, we're starting to bunch up a bit. 40% of them get Chenet Caesar. Then in fourth place... The Heraclean Dynasty. We get a bit of a jump, an average score of 30.41. That's a heck of a jump. Yeah, with uh, 50% again of them, that was three of them, managed to get Jenny Caesar. And now, here we go, top three dynasties for Series 2. Our third dynasty. Might surprise some people, because I keep banging on about them. <laughs> it's the Komnenos Dynasty. Yeah. <laughs> The Komnenos Dynasty, scoring an average of 31.95. That puts them third place. Uh, but this is the stat that is impressive. 80% of them got Jeanne Caesar. That is pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Four out of five emperors got Jeanne Caesar. Nice. And then second place, it's the Justinians. That's not surprising. Average score of 32.00. Half of them got Jeanne Caesar. So that makes our best dynasty according to... Our score. The Angelos Dynasty. It wasn't the Angelos, oh. but it, it's it's one that I'm guessing if you're listening, you're right now going, oh, who's it going to be then? Because I can't think. You've already said all the what? Yeah, I can't. I'm guessing is what you're thinking, because that's right. It's the Amorian Dynasty. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who? With, with 33.38 average score. 40% get Jeanne Caesar. They are our best dynasty, according to our score. Now, the Amorian dynasty uh, is a bit debatable because I put in um, Leo, uh, the Armenian, in with them yeah. for reasons that are going to become no more clear in this episode because we cover them. Um, but if you remove him, their score goes down to 32.75, which means they're still winners. Oh, yeah. So, the Amorian dynasty? Who are these people? That was my question. Yeah, the Amorian dynasty. This is Leo V, Michael II, Theophilus, who we have covered, mm. Theodora, and uh, Michael III. Mm, okay. Um, yeah, this is uh, somewhat surprising, you could say. I'm somewhat surprised. 
Yeah, none of them are huge, huge hitters, no. uh, I, I, score-wise, but all of them scored roughly in their low 30s. Mm. There were no duds at all, and because of that, they are our dynasty winners. Well done to the Armenian slash Amorian dynasty. Yeah. Surprise. So there we go, that's our dynasties. Uh, but now, <laughs> now let's, let's see who our worst emperors were, shall we? Yeah. Our very worst emperors. I've I've gone all out here. Bottom ten of the whole season. <laughs> In tenth place is Michael One from the Nikephron dynasty with a score, mighty score of two point nine four. Yes, that's right. Nikephros died in battle, yeah. the first Nikephron. Uh his son Starachius nearly died in battle. Uh, so Michael One takes over. Mm. He's in over his head, uh, and he abdicates for Leo V, who we're covering today. It was all a bit embarrassing. In ninth place, in fact, I think Soundguy should be doing the uh, 10 9 8. Michael One doesn't get one. We've already covered him. He doesn't deserve it. No. Okay, uh, Theodosius Three with 7.75. We've covered him already. He's mm. the only Genesis R winner in the bottom 10. Our reluctant emperor, yeah. the accountant. Yeah. Fair the enough. Lowest... He didn't want to be there anyway, so... He didn't want to He'd be there. He'd probably be annoyed so... he's even on the list. Yeah, probably is. Probably is. Um, okay, next. Heraclonus. A score of 2.56 from the Heraclean dynasty. This was a teenager, the son of the mighty Heraclius, brother of Constantine IIIb. Uh, his father and brother died within months of each other, and he was quite young. His regent mother could not hold on to power, so his nose was cut off after a coup took place. That's a shame. Mm. Yeah. Constance too takes over. So, yeah, not much you could do. No. Next. Seven. John Four, One of Velascaris, the exiled emperors. He scored a total of 2.50. Last of Velascaris emperors in exile, he became emperor age seven, and the mm. Paleologos came into the position where they were looking after the royal family. You probably don't remember John Four nope. until I point out that Michael Eight blinded him on his 11th birthday. Oh, yes! Oh. Yes, this is John Four. Happy yeah. birthday, John Four. Happy birthday. Six. Alexios Two from the Komnenos dynasty with a score of 0 0.88. And this tells you how good the rest of the Komnenai were because they came in third when one of them only scored 0 0.88. Because oh. this is why they didn't win it. Yeah, he became emperor when his father, Manuel I, died. He was 11 years old. His uh, crazy uncle, his crazy second cousin, cousin once removed relative, let's mm. just say that, Andronicus came along and took over the city. Poor Alexios II was then forced to sign his own mother's death warrant, and then he was strangled with a bowstring. That is really tragic. <laughs> that's awful. Really, really tragic. So that's Alexios 2. Next. Five. Okay, we continue the sad life of child emperors in the uh, <laughs> Eastern Roman Empire. Because <laughs> we've got another one. This could be in a podcast itself. Yes. <laughs> this is Leo 2 with a score of 0 0.20. He was seven years old when he became emperor. Oh. And uh, his father, Leo 1, dies. And uh, he died a year later. Probably of natural causes, which is a bit nicer. Uh, but maybe he was poisoned by Zeno. But probably natural causes. How did he score so high? I, I mean, high is relative, but... He scored 0 0.2. Yeah, but that's still... How did he get the point two? What did he do? Um, Other than he lasted die? a year. He lasted a oh, year. That was it. literally it. Wow, yeah. okay. Hmm. Fifth, fifth from bottom. <laughs> that's quite impressive. Yeah, bloody is. Yeah, okay. Um... 
Let's see if we can get out of the rut of children who were murdered, shall we? Uh, next. <laughs> Four. Michael six. Michael the old. <laughs> Called the old because he made it to nine before being murdered. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> That's not true. The oldest of uh, his siblings. <laughs> Michael Six, the Macedonian, 0 0.13. Uh, this was an old guy put in charge of the mess that was the death of Theodora and the end of the Macedonian dynasty. Celus uh, may have backed a coup against him. He stepped down after a year. Uh, it was all a bit of a pointless rule. So he scored nothing apart from the short time he reigned, which was 0 0.13 for Tempo mm. Completo. Michael Five. Also from the Macedonian dynasty, 0 0.06. Oh, we are scraping the bottom, bottom of that barrel now. Yeah. This is Michael the Ship Smearer. Slightly earlier in the Zoe Theodora era of the Macedonian dynasty here, this is where John the Orphanotrophus, if you remember him, was really in charge. Uh, Michael refuses to be a puppet, however, and he says, no, I will rule by myself. But instead of asserting himself, he just attempts to destroy the Macedonian dynasty. Uh, he was blinded and deposed within four months. Yeah. yeah. Not good. No. No. Starachius. Poor old Starachius. The Nikephron. Uh, 0.03. Yeah. Nikephoros had his head half chopped off in battle and then was declared emperor and then he died. Yeah. And we, we assumed there was no beating that. He was going to be our worst emperor, because how do you beat that? You can't get worse. You can't get worse until Whoa. our worst emperor, Nicholas Cannabis. From Dude. the mighty, mighty Angelos dynasty. <laughs> You're <With> so mocking. <laughs> there has been some uh, discussion about this on our Discord. Apparently I'm being really mean to them. <laughs> And they just got unlucky, but no. Bun <laughs> bunch of useless idiots. That's what I'm going to call them. I'm doubling down. Um, Nicholas, a total score of 0, 0.00. Oh, because he was declared then killed like within an hour or something, wasn't he? It wasn't quite within an hour, but it might as well have been in terms of statistics. He was declared emperor in the Hagia Sophia. Six days later, he was forcibly removed from the Hagia Sophia and executed. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, so much so is he useless. He does not appear on the uh, the Wikipedia list of emperors. <laughs> we just did the episode for a laugh. Well, uh, that list has changed quite a bit since we first started doing this series. Uh, a lot more emperors are now on that list. There's a few that we didn't cover where we said, no, they don't count as emperors, which I stand by my choices, almost all of them. But I'd argue Nicholas was an emperor. I think he should be there. So yeah. if anyone is listening, go on to Wikipedia and add him, please. Yeah. Uh, that would be really useful. Anyway, that is our worst emperors. That was quite impressive. But yeah, not, not really, but, you know. Yeah. But no, the opposite, you could argue. What is impressive is this lot. Yeah. It's... It's the best. Maurice from the Justinian dynasty, 38.25. Oh, Ooh, that's a real score right there. Already yeah. almost we're covering... in the 40s. That's impressive. Oh, yeah, already. Uh, we're covering Maurice today. He was a, a good fighter. He had lots of fighting with Persia. He kept Italy and Africa going. He got most of his points in Fidius Maximus and Successus Ultimus. Mm. Uh, we'd said he was French, um, and he was deposed by the crazy <laughs> focus. That's a really random thing to say. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I 
not going to lie, I'm fairly no. sure he scored a few more points than he would have done if it wasn't for the fact that we decided he was French. I think it definitely helped him. But hey, that's mm. the way it works sometimes. Yeah. Okay, next. Nine. Michael eight from the Paleologos dynasty. Yeah. yeah, you would have thought the Paleologos were all a bunch of idiots, but oh no, it's someone in the top ten. Uh, Michael eight scored 39.60. Wow. We have covered him already in round one, yeah. but he didn't quite go through. Uh, he is the start of the Paleologos dynasty. He got back Constantinople. Nice. By accident, yes, but he got it back. So there we go. Hey. It's Andronicus hey. from the Komnenos dynasty. We're in the 40 club. 40.25 covered him in round four. He won round four. He's mm. the last of the Komnenai. All the crazy happened. He got most of his points in a Probium Crazium and Phytius Maximus. Wow, done Andronicus. Yeah. Next, Says. Alexios won from the Komnenos dynasty. Uh, 40.63. Also covered in round four. First of the Komnenai, he went through. Most points uh, in Phytius Maximus and Successus Ultimus. Well done, Alexius mm. 1. Six. Manuel 1 from the Komnenos dynasty. <laughs> 43.88. He's the third Komnenai. Brilliant. Uh, he lost out to going through in the second round. It's the round of death, remember. The two mm. Justinians beat him to it. But, oh, he put up a good fight. He got unlucky there. He scored almost identical to his grandfather, Alexios. Do you think, like, when they had a Komnenos, like, family picnic that have all the ones that had Genesis Arge like standing behind the barbecue high-fiving each other really happy then all the ones that didn't just standing at the side looking well the only one who didn't was Alexios too when he was a kid and he was murdered by Andronicus so if um, if Alexios's two's dad granddad and great-granddad were high-fiving Andronicus (laughs) I feel really sorry for Alexios too (laughs) Just, he, he, he was so disappointed. Well, I don't killing him. He's, <laughs> yeah, no presents at Christmas. It's a shame to the name he is, damn it. He nearly had a clean sweep. <laughs> uh. He's just playing in the mud with a stick. Five. It's Basil One. We're covering him today. He's from the Macedonian dynasty, 44.88. Founder of the mighty Macedonian dynasty. Mm. Peasant to emperor, mostly Phytius Maximus and successors Ultimus points. Well done, Basil. Four. Justinian the Great. And we're in the 50s club. Yeah. Don't need to tell you he's part of the Justinian dynasty. 51.50. He went through in round two. Uh, he expanded the empire a lot. He started to reunite the fallen west. Mm. A golden age of building and culture. He did a damn good job. Yeah. Top three, though. Three. Justinian II, the Heraclean, just beating his namesake with 52.00. He also went through in round two, the revenge story that we love so much. Yeah. What, 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 no nose, that's all that needs to yeah, be said. Revenge sweet. and no nose. Heraclius. We covered Heraclius last week. He is the founder of the Heraclean dynasty, scored 53.88. He picked up the empire when it was on its knees. He defeated the Persians in the last war between the two empires, and he saw the rise of Islam. Fascinating stuff. Yeah. I mean, he's so good, he may as well have literally picked up the empire. Yeah, One exactly. One at a time. And obviously our winner is... Whoa. Basil II from Ooh. the Macedonian dynasty. And uh, a 58.63. Nice. Just that score. That score just kicks everyone else in the teeth. Oh, it uh, does. He went through in round three. He is the Borgar Slayer. Very long rule. Very stable. Mm. Fighting all over the place. Yeah. But not just fighting. New laws to improve people's lives and general stability. So, uh, yeah. I mean, he's... 
clearly the one to beat. That sounds suspiciously like semi-final talk to me, Jamie. Sorry. We're not quite Sorry. there. Oh. We are not quite Sorry, there yet. Sorry, breaching because the contract. We have discussed our total scores. Wowden to Basel 2 for winning and bad luck to Nicholas, as I said last time. Incidentally, the same winner and loser as the Tempo Completo scores. Yeah. But uh, we're done now. We've analysed all of the raw scores. And as we know, the raw scores, although we spend all season discussing them, are actually utterly pointless, and we may as well not have done them, because it's all about <laughs> our gut feeling, <laughs> Je ne César. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, it is. So let's do our final round, round six. Round six. Final round, and the one, in a way, I've been most looking forward to, because this is the first round, out, <laughs> and it's the last one, but it's the first round where I literally have no idea who we are going to send through. Uh, All the others, I've had a fairly good chance of at least one, yeah. or some of them even both. Whereas this one, I just don't know. I do not know. So let's <laughs> see who we've got, shall we? We've got Constantine Eleven from the Paleologos Dynasty, uh, the very last emperor. He's scored a total of 17.90. Not a great score, ranking him 51st. But mm. he's the last emperor. Yeah. And, and he went uh, out in a maybe, blaze of glory. And he went out in a blaze of glory, so maybe that's enough to get him through. Uh, he is up against Basil I, the founder of the Macedonian dynasty. A very impressive score of 44.88. He's fifth overall. He is the highest mm. ranking in this round, so he is the one to watch out for. Then we have another Paleologos. We have John VI, so 28.88. Not an amazing score, no. uh, ranking him 35th, sort of middle-of-the-pack kind of area. Yeah. yeah. But maybe we will be surprised by him. Uh, then we've got Leo V, the Armenian-slash-Amorian dynasty, with a score of 35.88, ranking him 18th, which is roughly where they all scored in that <laughs> dynasty. Yeah. Which is why they're apparently the best dynasty. Uh, <laughs> As a snub of historians there, Rob. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm just amazed that uh, the Amorians have come out on top. Yeah. <laughs> they are for, you know when um, your vision song contest is going on and yeah. they're calling out the scores? Yeah. And there's always a table of people who are just like utterly astounded they're doing as well as they are. Yeah. I'm guessing if we pan over to the <laughs> Amorian table right now. <laughs> Whoa, oh my God. They're all just pointing. signs to the camera and stuff. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly what they're doing. Little flags. Yeah, bless them. Yeah. Pan over to the common and I table and they're all just <laughs> staring daggers at Alexios too. I can't believe this. <laughs> uh, Okay, um, and then we've got, uh, finally in the round, is Maurice from the Justinian dynasty. He scored an impressive 38.25. He is also in the top 10, but he is last of the top 10 in 10th place. So there you go. Well, Maurice is going through. I'm sorry. Why is that? Be because he's Maurice. He's Maurice and he's French. Yep, he is going through. Okay, what about any of the others? Any of the others? Don't care. Any flash of red? No, nope, okay. don't care. Well, Maurice is going through. Well, we will see, shall we? Let's start with Constantine 11. Constantine 11. Okay, Constantine 11. 1443, Jamie. 1453. Uh, it still amazes me how late the Romans kept going. I know, it's crazy, isn't it? Just think, we're only, what, 15 years till the moon landing? Something like that? Yeah, something like that. If, if I've done my maths right Fall now. Fall of
Yeah, it's, it's something like that, isn't yeah. it? Uh, anyway, um, before we get into Constantine, I think, if I'm being honest, I would have been surprised if you told me that the very last Emperor would be in the playoffs. And not for an Alexios for he's awful reason. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but here he is. He's here. He is the son of Gene César winner Manuel Dos. And uh, he was born into the royal family with lots of brothers, if you remember. Oh, he had yeah. John, Andronicus, Theodore, Demetrius, Thomas, oh, a whole bunch of brothers. Uh, when the Sultan uh, Mehmet died, his brother John and heir uh, and his father argued over what to do. Manuel had done a good job with the Ottoman princes, but he was getting old and John felt he could do better. John's political intrigue with the Ottomans ended up with the capital being sieged. It didn't go well. After the siege, Constantine was left in charge of the city for a while while he was 18 years old. Yeah. The first we really hear of him. So he was obviously trusted. His brother travels west for support. Then their father, Manuel, dies. Uh, so Constantine heads to Moria with his brother to go and fight there. Yeah. Not going to go into convoluted ins and outs of the fighting that took place in the south of Greece between Latin forces uh, and the, the brothers of Constantine, because uh, we did his episode recently, yeah. and it's hard to sum up quickly. <laughs> so uh, I'm just going to say, stuff happened, lots of fighting happened, and just know that for several years, Constantine was arguably the most impressive of the brothers, mm. as they fought enemies of the empire, and with each other over what little land they had left. Uh, Constantine actually starts to grow the empire as he started to actually take land. That was all very impressive. It's more like, isn't it, like farmland and, you know... I, it, it, it's the, still the land, tree, it counts. The tree to the west of the city. Look at percentages, Jamie. Look at what the empire has. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's... A, yeah. That four trees, that's another 32% of the empire oh. <laughs> back. I mean, yeah. That's, yeah. that's pretty good. Uh, in fact, he's doing so well that the Pope is unhappy. Uh, because Constantine is taking Christian cities, damn it. And the Sultan wasn't happy because you're meant to be my vassals, damn it. Stop it. So Constantine's annoying all the people. Uh, and then he was summoned to the capital. Let's talk about succession, his brother said. Um, but then one of his other brothers, Theodore, rushes up to the capital as well. And there's all disagreements about succession going on. Uh, infighting with the brothers start once more. Uh, Constantine was left in charge of Constantinople once again when John went west once more and came back to tell everyone, right, we're all Catholic now. Excuse me? Said everyone. <laughs> uh, and then one brother, Demetrius, with support from the Sultan, attempted to coup. Constantine was stuck on Lesbos at this time. Yeah. He had just got married, uh, but then his boat couldn't leave because the island was surrounded. Yeah. Uh, and then his wife died. Uh, it was oh. all very tragic. By the time he got back to the capital, uh, he learned that the coup had failed. Hurrah. But it, it wasn't great. Constantine goes back to Moria, where he uh, goes and lives in the capital of Mistra, which is fast becoming the capital of the empire, at least culturally. Mm. Uh, and then he decides to expand what little they had. He was able to get Athens and Thebes back into the empire. Mm. And they sound good because I know where they are on a map. <laughs> so that's good. Uh, this greatly angered the Sultan because he owned those at the time. So he attacks in force. Constantine, having rebuilt the wall, walls to Moria, fought to defend it. But the Ottomans had brought a cannon with them, or multiplied several cannons. These were relatively new technology, and the walls could not stop them. Uh, the Ottomans sacked the area, but not as badly as feared. Constantine was put in his place, however. Okay, sorry, I shouldn't have taken Athens. <laughs> Oopsie. 
Then word comes through, his brother the Emperor was dead, so all the brothers rushed to the capital. Uh, apart from Constantine, he's still trying to keep Moria in one place. Um, it looks like his brothers might attempt to coup, because Constantine was the heir, but their yeah. mother steps in and makes it very clear. No, boys. Constantine's next in line. So, Constantine gets crowned. Constantine eleven, Not crowned in Constantinople, however. He was worried that his brothers would take power, so he just got crowned on the move whilst he was heading back to the capital. Anyway, he arrives, and for two years he attempts to get a handle on the fact that an overwhelmingly more powerful enemy wanted them gone. But then, hooray, brilliant news, the sultans died, leaving a teenager in charge. This is great news, the threat is gone. Mm. No, No. it was not great news. This young sultan wanted to prove himself by taking the capital from the Romans. So the Osmans started building a fort north of the city, so big that it took a year to build. All the Romans could do was watch and wait. The Ottomans had between 60 and 100,000 men. The Romans had around 10,000 fighters in the city, and that was it. And then a new monster of a cannon was rolled up outside the city. The world had never seen a cannon this big before. Big Billy, yeah. That was what it was called, yes. Big Billy fired seven balls a day. That's quite funny, actually, because that sounds like, ah, that's that seven? That's, that's nothing, but, you know, early technology. They were big balls as well. Massive balls. So what, what the guy had rolled it up said, it, it's winched into place. <laughs> and the guy just slaps the side of it. This bad boy. Seven balls a day. Oh, that's a lot of he balls. Says. It's Big Billy for you. Yeah, anyway, we've been distracted by the big balls of Billy. Uh, it was only a matter of time before uh, the walls fell to mm. this massive cannon. Uh, the, the city had never seen anything like this. Meanwhile, inside the city, the Venetians and the Genoese, who had been arguing over the city for centuries by this point, had actually pitched in to try and defend it, but they don't trust each other, so it doesn't go too well. Constantine leads the fighting with uh, a Scotsman who turned up, remember Yes! <laughs> yes, the explosive expert from Scotland who just turned up from nowhere. <laughs> You're right there! Hey, that's a wee big billy! Hey, check out the balls on him! Yeah, I just love that fact. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, um, two months of struggling to survive go on, but it's only a matter of time. Eventually the walls give and they are breached. As the streets flood with Ottoman troops, the last emperor of the Romans picks up his sword and rushes into the fight. And if oh, it's just such a better end than season one. Oh, it really is. I mean, this, this guy gets Augustus and picks him up by the collar, shakes him, stares him into the eyes and then just throws him to the side yeah i mean he he wasn't a bad emperor but he didn't have chance to be emperor really no. uh, he did okay get the feeling if he ruled in better times he probably would have been fine yeah. um and he goes he goes down with the ship you've mm. got to admire it yeah got to admire it's it. just the end of blackadder it's brilliant yeah um he so i stand by the genesis are definitely yeah. constantine 11 scored 12 for fightius maximus one for opprobium crasium Two for successor Sultimus, which is higher than you'd expect for Last Emperor to get. <laughs> to really uh, point. <laughs> uh, 2.5 for Imago Facius and 0.40 for Tempo Completo with a not great score of 17.90. But I'd argue they were very insurmountable odds. You could have they stuck were... Aurelian in there and he wouldn't have survived. You could have got Aurelian. Basil II. You could have got Constantius II in there. You could have got 
Basil. Maurice. Even Maurice going to sigh that. All of them. Line them up on the walls. And what would have happened? They would have been broken to bits by Big Billy's balls. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, good enough to go through? I don't know. Because mm. I think there's something... I think you can make an argument. Yeah. Okay, let's go on to the next one. Basil 1. <laughs> 867 to 886. The founder of the Macedonian dynasty. Uh, we know very little about his early life because he was a peasant. That said, we get stories, Jamie. Oh, we get stories, and you enjoyed these stories. There were a lot of stories about eagles shading him oh, and brilliant. signs. But if you remember, these uh, stories had like um, sprinkles of realism to make them sound more believable for some reason. <laughs> because An eagle when his... shaded him as he was travelling yeah. south for the winter. Well, <laughs> not quite, but an eagle was um, uh, shading him. Was it an eagle? He was being shaded by a bird. Probably an eagle. I haven't put this in my notes. It's me half remembering. Um, but yeah, his mother just kept throwing stones at the eagle because she was worried that the eagle was going to uh, bother her child. Uh, Carry him off. Until, yeah. yeah, until the third time, that's when they realised it must be a sign. So yeah, there's all sorts of realistic signs going on. Anyway, we don't know much about his childhood, apart from the fact that he was a wow-muscled teenager. <laughs> Yeah, He heads to the capital to make his fortune. We get the story that he slept outside a monastery in the streets, uh, and then a priest kept getting a dream to invite him inside. Again, a sprinkling of realism. The priest kept waking up thinking it was just a dream and going back to sleep, uh, until the uh, man in his vision appeared with a whip to tell him, no, seriously, go and get Basil. <laughs> uh, which... Which just, we particularly enjoyed. You just imagine a really pissed-off angel. Like, Come on, get the hint! <laughs> Yes, I, I believe that was our final sketch for that episode. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, uh, what actually probably happened is Basil goes into the city. Somehow he was in the right place at the right time and he impresses a noble man called Theophilus. Nothing to do with the Emperor Theophilus. Yeah. This noble man, Theophilus, was impressed with this young, well-muscled teenager and his wrestling skills. Apparently he liked his wrestling. Mm. Uh, one day at a party... Held by the son of Bardos, who was the current power behind the throne, uh, there was a delegation of Bulgars who were boasting of the wrestling prowess of one of their party. So Bardos was getting obviously annoyed. So, so Theophilus says, "Why don't you let one of my one of my boys wrestle? I think he could beat this Bulgar." Uh, so Basil is sent forward, and he defeats the Bulgar, strangling him like, and I quote, a newborn baby, which was a simile that which caused us to pause. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> He's done this far too many times. There was a choice in that simile right there. Yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> sometime later, the emperor was out hunting, and... Uh, Basil was part of Theophilus's entourage. Mm. The emperor at this time was the young Michael III, who was probably roughly about Basil's age. When Michael III's horse starts to play up and rides off without the emperor, Basil says to Theophilus, his master, it's like, would it be okay if I, if I ride after the horse, jump on it, and tame it? Would the emperor be annoyed with me? At that point, everyone goes, yeah, go on then. That'll be awesome. <laughs> and Basil does it. And the emperor was very, very impressed. So much so, he took Basil from the Lord Theophilus. Probably much to Theophilus's annoyance. Uh, so the emperor and Basil soon become really good friends. Much to the despair of Michael's family, because who is this low-born youth who's mm. now friends with the emperor? So they get on so well, Basil is soon made chamberlain 
so someone who sleeps in the same room as the emperor to keep him company and keep him guard essentially ah. and uh, talk to him chamber I always lane wondered, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, this is uh, this is early days of Chamberlain. It's not quite the full-on advisor role that it becomes, but it kind of is because you're close to the oh, emperor yeah. the whole time. So Basil is now the Chamberlain. The two of them get so close that when Michael III wants to see his mistress more often, they hatch a plan. Basil will marry Michael's mistress, and that way, yeah, <laughs> I think you put that expression yeah, at the time. That'd be a very awkward um, wedding night. Well, uh, that way Michael's mistress can visit the ah. Emperor's chambers to visit her husband. Yeah. But actually, she's off to see Michael. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> that's... Poor Basil into the bed again. This is crap job. I hate this now. <laughs> oh, you've clearly forgotten what happens. Oh. Uh, <laughs> we will get to that. Anyway, at some point, Basil starts thinking that actually his friend's a bit of an idiot and he could probably run the empire somewhat better than his friend after all michael was a puppet emperor bardos was the real ruler here and basil figured he can take them both on to begin with bardos was about to invade crete to get it back in the empire and then suddenly the day before the invasion when they're about to get on the boats they're not in the capital here uh, suddenly the soldiers kill bardos in front of everyone on the Emperor's orders. Oh. Basil almost certainly organised this by telling Michael that his uncle and puppet master was planning to coup. Yeah. Once they get back to the capital, Michael tells everyone that Basil saved my life, and he is now co-emperor. <laughs> Boom! Michael's family despair, uh, but there's nothing they can do. And then Michael and Basil fall out, yeah. probably because Basil no longer needs his idiot friend. Yeah. Um, Michael tries to have Basil killed in a in a, an assassination attempt, but it fails. And then Basil breaks the lock of the Emperor's door one night. So he bends the, uh, the bolt that goes across so the Emperor can't lock himself in. And that night he heads to the room and he beheads his friend. He woke him up beforehand. Oh, I can't remember from my notes, but let's say yes. Mm. Uh, anyway, there you go. Basil has gone from peasant boy entering the city to emperor in 15 years. That's, That's impressive. Very impressive, yeah. Very impressive. Uh, he immediately sets to work on the schism of the church. I mean, Basil might be an illiterate peasant, but he knows his history and he knows what he wants to do. He hasn't got power just for no reason. He has plans. So... Let's sort the schism in the church out, shall we? He fires the unpopular patriarch, he puts someone else in. He then talks to the current Western emperor, because we have Western emperors at this time. Yeah. Uh, the caliphate have started to get into Italy. Shall we join forces and do something about that? They start to put some plans in, but then a huge earthquake hits, one of the biggest in Roman history. Uh, the domes fall down in the Hagia Sophia. Oh. The goats... The goats soon afterwards commit suicide for shame. <laughs> Do the Japanese thing. Like. Yeah, exactly. It's really hard to stab yourself with a sword as a goat because obviously you've got no thumbs. Um, <laughs> Poor hooves. Uh, but they're very good at climbing and jumping off things, so they just wait till someone's walking past with a sword and some <laughs> jump a lunge. These really confused soldiers walk around like, oh, goat kebab. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bleating the goat word for shame as they're falling. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway Basil orders the Hagia Sophia to be rebuilt better than ever which uh, pleases everyone uh, shortly after this uh, he calls a meeting of the heads of Christianity from all over the world um, let's answer the Bulgar problem shall we uh, the Bulgars at this time were Christian 
but they were debating whether to be Western or Eastern Christian. And in a political coup for Basil, it was announced that the Bulgars came under the Sea of Constantinople. Mm. In other words, the Bulgars were going to be Eastern Christian. The Pope was outraged but could do very little. This also angered the Western Emperor, so the idea of them joining forces to fight the Caliphate uh, is called off, which is a bit of a shame, but uh, Basil doesn't uh, care. He's pretty much got Bulgaria into the Empire. Uh, And then there was a religious uprising of the Paulicians in Armenia. Uh, Basil was forced to deal with this. Uh, A lot of people died. Uh, Realising that the Empire was having to defend itself on both fronts, he decided to build a navy. We're a Mediterranean power, damn it. We need a decent navy, and we don't have one. But we've got no money. Um, his, his idiot friend Michael had spent it all on just partying. Um, so he ordered all gifts that Michael III had given out to make friends be returned on pain of pain. <laughs> it works. They now have some money. So a fleet is built, one of the best fleets the Empire's seen, and it was used to great effect. Basil gets rid of a pirate problem that was going on, and then he takes the entire Dalmatian coast back for the Empire. Do you, do you think, like, if they've not really had a navy before, that you had a very lot of, ne- like, very nervous sort of sailors to start with? Like, never been in wars before. It's like, oh, my goodness, this is horrible. Then after a year, they sort of toughen up after a montage. It's like, yeah, water, great. One of the things that baffles me most about Roman history is how rubbish they were yeah. on sea. On average, occasionally you got an emperor or you got a period of time where their navy was actually all right. But yeah. for a Mediterranean superpower... yeah. The thing that really stands out is how rubbish they usually are on sea. And Italy really sticks out into the sea as well. It's not like yeah. a little little and ridge. The, it's like a big boot. The, the Venetians and the Genoese, I mean, they're, they're just small cities. Yeah. And they invested in their fleets and they became essentially global superpowers. Yeah. And beautiful boats. That's, yeah, that's so, uh, well. War anyway. <laughs> Yeah. Slightly sidetracked again. The fact is that he built a fleet yeah. and it was good. So there you go. He's getting the Dalmatian coast back. All those dogs. Uh, <laughs> and then he used the fleet to take back the south of Italy. Hooray! Hey. Italy's back in the empire. It takes it off the caliphate. Very impressive. By this point, Basil sees himself as the second Justinian. He was a peasant emperor who started an expansionist golden age. Uh, he's going to be so happy we realise he scores higher than Justinian. Oh, no, he doesn't. No, he does. <laughs> no, he didn't. No, he doesn't. No, no, he didn't. Oh. He didn't quite. He, he was close. Justinian came fourth. Basil came fifth. Ooh. So, yes. Very, very yeah. close. Uh, well, there's one thing Justinian had done that uh, Basil had not, and that was build the Hagia Sophia, the greatest building ever built. Well, well, if he built the Hagia Sophia, I'll have a new one of those, please. <laughs> I'll have the new one, the new cathedral. It was called the Near, or the New. This cathedral was huge. It was in the palace comple- uh, complex. Its dome didn't fall down. They didn't even need goats. Wow. Um, for a while, it was the cathedral to be in. But as we saw as the um, the season progressed, uh, emperors reverted back to the Hajj Sphere yeah. before too long. Um, there was just something special about the Hajj Sphere. It's got history. I reckon it's um, all the protesting goats out the front. It's like, no jobs yes. for goats. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's out of work. It's oh. really hard to get anything done having to get past the uh, the goats calling you scabs. <laughs> the the Nia was destroyed fifty years after Constantine eleven. Uh, the Ottomans came in and went. What should we do with this big Christian building that we don't have any use for? Um, I don't know. Gunpowder storage. Yeah, that will do. So they store their gunpowder. Oh. In it. it was Jeff's suggestion. And, uh, <laughs> 
We'll, we'll put this, this very grumpy goat in charge of it. Yeah. Uh, anyway, a storm one day, a lightning strike, <laughs> no more building. Yeah. yeah. All yeah, people in the so, within the surrounding five miles. Yeah. So it's a shame. I mean, the Neo was apparently a very impressive building. It rivaled the Hadrosphere, but it's no longer with us. Uh, anyway, back to Basil. Um, the old city of Syracuse then fell in Sicily. You remember the one with the lasers? Yeah. But, yeah, in our uh, Roman Republic episodes. Yep. Um, yeah, that falls. Now, this is arguably because all the money and the ships were being used to build the Nia. Mm. Basil's become obsessed with this new cathedral. He's not paying attention. But then he is paying attention. So to avenge it, Basil attacks the caliphate in Anatolia, and he does pretty well. Uh, but then his son and heir dies, which really upset him. And he was left with his other son, the idiot Leo, as he called him. Yeah. The idiot Leo, who we really didn't like, reminded him a lot of his friend Michael Three. <laughs> You're so dumb. Well, he really reminded him of Michael <laughs> Three. If you remember, uh, Basil's wife was Michael's mistress. Yeah. So there's a very, very good chance that Leo was actually Michael's child, not Basil's. Ooh. And the Macedonian dynasty should not be called the Macedonian dynasty. Mm. Uh, but anyway, uh, the caliphate then invade and take back all the gains that Basil had just made. Things deteriorate more between Basil and his son, Leo. Basil has Leo publicly flogged for having an affair. Wow. It doesn't make the royal family look good. Uh, a faction working against Leo then sets Leo up, trying to stage a coup. So he's arrested and thrown under house arrest. But Leo's popular, so he was released. And then Basil goes hunting. And this is where we get arguably the best death in all of season two, because uh, Basil threw a spear at a stag and the stag charged at Basil. Uh, the stag got its antlers caught in the emperor's belt and the hunting party spent a merry afternoon chasing stag and emperor around. They eventually, after hours, managed to catch up and kill the stag. Basil asks how far he had been dragged and orders they actually go and measure it, he is told eventually that it was 16 miles. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and then he dies. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that he stayed around long enough to uh, ask how far it was. <laughs> just a small curiosity. Just, just, just out of interest. As things are going grey, I'm losing feeling my hands and legs. Um... <laughs> Yeah, so there you go, that's that's Basil. Uh, 14 for Fidius Maximus, 8 for Obrobium Crasium, 17 for Successus Ultimus, Imago Facius 3.50, Tempo Completo 2.38, a total very impressive 44.88, ranking 5th overall. He is, score-wise, the one to beat this week. Yeah. Interesting. He seems a bit of a bastard, though, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> Why do you say I that? I don't know. He, just, you know, he cooed, tried to kill his simple friend. I mean, he did do that, didn't he? I, I don't know. Yeah, he, he was a bit ruthless, and then he also hated his son. Yeah, that's yeah. what you mean. Anyway. Anyway, next. Just six. 1347 to 1354, we're back with the Paleologos dynasty, and what I would call the hidden gem of John Six. Not an emperor I think many people would ever think of, uh, but I really like John VI. Uh, he was born around 1295. He was born into a powerful family, and he was part of the royal court. When he was young, he became friends with the grandson of the old emperor, Andronicus III. As in the friend was Andronicus III. Yeah. Uh, they were around the same age as each other. Uh, we get stories of them drinking and gambling and enjoying the company of the ladies. Hey. 
and uh, then John was ordered out of the capital when it was decided by the royal family that he was a bad influence on the heir. Then Andronicus III, if you remember, accidentally killed his brother. Yes, uh, there was someone sleeping with one of his mistresses, so he orders that person be killed, and it turned out it was his brother. Oops. Um, Anyway... Uh, Andronicus III flees the capital and goes where his friend John is, and together they plot a coup. Let's get rid of your grandfather. Uh, The coup simmers down, but by the end of it, John is now in charge of the armies. He fights the Bulgars, he does well. He fights the Ottomans, he does okay. Then he and his friend Andronicus III plot another coup against the Emperor, and this time it works. The Emperor abdicates and Andronicus III becomes Emperor. So John, in his early 30s, becomes right-hand man to the Emperor. Huzzah. He's put in charge of the armies once more, but also in charge of tax and the, cha- uh, and the treasury. His friend, the Emperor, offered to make him co-Emperor at this point, but John turns around and goes, no, 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 thank you. <laughs> make me co-Emperor, that'll put a target on my back. I'm happy just being powerful, that's fine. <laughs> I just want the cash, not the responsibility. Yes. Well, the Emperor and his wife then have a boy, and they name him John after his friend John. That's nice. Uh, This little John would become John V. Uh, Then the Ottomans invade. John and Andronicus III ride out to meet them, but they lose. Anatolia is lost. But then John uses fighting and diplomacy to get Epirus back into the Empire, so that softens the blow a bit. But then his friend Andronicus dies. And this starts what was, in John VI's own words, I quote, the worst civil war that the Romans have ever known. Which is debatable, but oh, it was a big civil war. Now, little John V is now nine years old and emperor. And our John, John Cantacuzinos, was keeping things running for his friend's son. Yeah. But it soon became clear that John V's mother was very much against this, as was a growing faction in the palace. Our John, I'm going to keep calling him John Cantacuzinos to make it clear. Uh, So John Cantacuzinos used his connections to get the army behind him. He then headed out to fight the Bulgars, who were invading, and he made a political pact with the Serbians, led by a man named Dushan. And then word came through. Someone had tried to kidnap the little emperor, John V. John Cantacuzinos heads back to the capital and talks to the mob at Anna. Yeah, we don't like each other, but I can protect the kid. So why don't we marry your son to my daughter? I'll become co-emperor. One family, we're stronger together. What's his idea? Logical. Now, Anna was not happy about this. She doesn't like John Cantacuzinos, but she goes for it. She sees reason. It makes sense. But as soon as John leaves the city, Anna and the Patriarch, and the general who would try to kidnap her son, form an alliance. Three of us will band together and we will destroy John Cantacuzinos. John finds out about this and is furious, so he declares himself emperor, which makes him John VI. Yes. We covered John VI before John V because... Made sense. It made sense in the narrative, but that's why the numbers are reversed, because little John V's not doing anything right now. So John VI declares himself emperor, but makes himself it makes it very, very clear. His friend's son, John V, is also emperor. I'm not cooing here. I am just defending the emperor John V by being co-emperor. I'm not going to cover the back and forth of the fighting between the two factions. It was a long episode, one of our longest, and it's a fascinating story. Highlights here, though. John was reduced to an army of 500 at one point, but then claws his way back. All sorts of stuff goes on with the Serbians and the Turks. All sorts of double 
um, crossing goes on. The general dies at one point, uh, people in a prison when he was inspecting it. Uh, the patriarch and Anna fall out. Anna has a meeting of the high up bishops to depose the patriarch, but this is interrupted by John VI taking the capital. Mm. John VI then declares he would be emperor for 10 years, but then he would pass it on to John V, who would be 25 by that point. Okay. Got shades of Diocletian there. Yeah. Of sensible kind of, right, well, let's do what's good for the empire. Yeah. Uh, to make sure all this works, uh, John V is wedded to John VI's daughter. And then everyone dies. Yeah. Because it's, it's the plague and mm. it's the big one. It's the Black Death, the worst plague in history up to 80% of the capital die, uh, including John VI's son. Oh. As the world is falling apart, the Serbians and the, uh, the Genoese start causing trouble, and um, John VI and V head out together to fight the Serbians and Dushan. They manage to take some land off the Serbians, but then little John V, fearing John VI's heir would take the throne, asks the enemy, Dushan, to help him take the empire. John VI hears of this and tells Anna to go and tell her son off, yeah. which Anna then does. You're an idiot. What are you doing talking <laughs> to the Serbians? Uh, political landscape turns into a mess, however. Uh, the empire is split between the two Johns, and John VI is starting to get on at this point. His son, Matthew, starts looking at his inheritance and starts thinking he should be the heir. So um, Matthew and John V start fighting. John VI doesn't want this to happen, but he can't stop it. A second civil war breaks out. John VI is forced to pick a side, uh, so obviously he sides with his son. And John loses this war. John V takes the capital. John VI is monked and goes off to write his history, which is where we get most of the information about the Civil War from. So maybe a bit of bias in the uh, sources there, but it is a fascinating story. It was one I wasn't expecting or looking no. for. Uh, I remember it was one of the most interesting uh, to research out of both series. Mm. And it came right near the end. So that is John Six. What are you thinking? Very logical. Mm -hmm. Very pragmatic. And like yeah. you said in the episode, like trying to make the empire better rather than just power. Yeah. It's like I want to. Yeah, we need to this to work. You know, yeah, he really times, just seems to be trying. Let's work together. He's trying to stabilize the empire. Yeah. that's what he's trying to do. Uh, and people around him aren't having any of it. Uh, yeah, uh, I don't know whether it's good enough to go through, which is a shame because I do like him. Mm. He's one of my favorites. Um, but we will see. Okay, let's stop. Leo, Leo the Armenian, 813-820. Born into a powerful family, he had two friends, Michael, who would become Michael II, mm. and Thomas, who would become dead. <laughs> uh, they probably all met each other when working for General Badani's. No, we all know they met each other in the pub. Well, they met each other in the pub whilst working for yeah. the general, Badani's. Uh, when the three were young and high up in the army, Irene, who we covered last week, was deposed by Nikephoros. Badani's decided to coup against Nikephoros. Who the hell was this Nikephoros guy? I bet he starts a rubbish dynasty. So why can't I be emperor, says Badani's. The three friends, Leo, Michael and Thomas, have to decide, do we revolt with our general or do we remain loyal to this new emperor we've never met? We then get a story of Badani's going to see a monk who could predict the future. This monk, we speculated, lived in a cave up a pole in a desert. Hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, the monk claimed that Badani's was not going to be emperor. However, 
he did say that Leo would be emperor next, then Michael, and then lastly Thomas would be declared emperor, but then die horribly. Horribly, horribly. Horribly, horribly. Leo and Michael then abandon Badanis, and Thomas sticks with him, thinking, well, sod this for a game of soldiers. <laughs> I, I don't want to die horribly, horribly. Obviously, all that is made up after the fact, uh, but it was a great story that we really enjoyed. Uh, we don't know the details, but Badanis loses his rebellion. Leo and Michael, too, are rewarded by Nykephoros, so they must have sided with Nykephoros. Sources then get really murky. It would seem that Leo's father was caught up in some kind of coup against Nykephoros, so the family fall out of favour with the Emperor. Uh, but then Nykephoros is killed by Crum, and then his son Starachius dies shortly afterwards of acute not having a head. <laughs> it's terrible. And yeah, and then this left the uh, son-in-law of Nykephoros in charge, Michael I, not to be confused with Leo's friend, Michael Michael II. Now, Leo, for some reason unknown, uh, is back in favour, and he is made governor of the Amatolic theme. Leo leads the fighting against the Caliphate. He does very well, but then he receives word from the Emperor, we need to go and kill Crum, damn it. He's a thorn in our side, so head east. Crum. So Crum. Leo Crum. turns up. And the Romans face the Borgars, and in the fight, Leo's wing of the army, because he's in charge of a whole wing of the army, suddenly, with seemingly no reason, collapse and flee. Michael heads back to the capital, and seeing which way the political winds were going, abdicates. Leo uses this to push his claim on being emperor based on the fact that he was the most popular general. Mm. That's literally it. I'm most popular general. I think I should be emperor. Woo. Leo is persuaded by his friend Michael too. Yeah, you should definitely go for this. Uh, so they do. They head to the capital. Uh, they walk in and Leo is crowned. But then Crum turns up and tries to siege the capital. The Bulgars knew they couldn't take the city. Those walls are damn impressive and the Bulgars hadn't bothered to invent cannons. Uh, <laughs> Lazy I know. <laughs> so, uh, instead, they ask for gold. If we have some gold, we'll go away. Oh, and also Crum is going to, like, jab a spear into the front door of the capital and declare victory. Uh, in a very much George Bush-esque kind of way. Or a Caligula uh, stab in the sea kind of way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's been done many times yeah. in history. Uh, <laughs> declare victory and go home. Leo says, yeah, maybe, let's meet, and we'll discuss the terms. So Leo sets out to meet Crum, but it's actually a trap. Not for Leo, but for Crum. Leo sets up a trap. Uh, he attempts to capture the Bulgazar, uh, but the plot fails. Crum goes on a tour of the Empire, acting out in revenge. How dare you try and kill me. Uh, Adrianople is taken. So Leo and his two friends, Michael and Thomas, is back on the scene by this point. They set off to fight the Bulgars. One night, when facing a large Bulgar army, rumour suddenly spreads through the Roman camp. The Emperor has fled, realising they were going to lose. This... <laughs> Yeah, this rumour then spreads to the Bulgar camp, and the Bulgars have a bit of a party, and allegedly start to organise themselves to annihilate the leftover Romans in the morning. Yeah. But then, as the sun comes up, Leo suddenly charges at the Bulgar camp. It was all lies. Absolute lies. The unprepared Bulgars were wiped out. An angry Crum then spent a year preparing to take Constantinople. Crum wasn't with that army, by the way, so he, he was fine. Uh, but we are going to we are gonna take the capital. Those walls are impressive, but we're going to invent things that can take the walls. We need something big that can shoot balls. But <laughs> that guy wasn't listened to, so instead they just built 
big towers they could push towards the walls. Seriously, I have this. It's like a big metal tube. You can put big balls in. And they they fire. Stop with talking them. balls, man! Oh, they said. You're obsessed. Yeah, uh, they killed him. Uh, that's a shame. <laughs> and he was the first uh, Billy. He was the first Billy. Yeah. He was. Yeah, his great 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 grandson eventually invented the cannon. Uh, in China, he went on. <laughs> he went on a big tour. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, this was the biggest attempt to take the city up until this point. Uh, this was going to be a big siege. Everyone howled their breath, and then suddenly Crum just dies out of nowhere. Blood just starts spurring out of all of the officers. Uh, we don't know why. Maybe poison. Maybe not. Who knows? Probably poison. Uh, mm. Anyway. The Bulgars are no longer a threat because internal disputes take over. Uh, for a while there was peace, and suddenly Leo becomes obsessed with icons. Oh, oh yeah. Yes. It's, it's this period of time where every time you've got a half-decent emperor, they just go off on a bloody icon tangent, yeah. and you just watch the empire fall apart. What are you doing? <laughs> anyway, uh, iconoclasm is an issue once again for the first time since Irene put it to bed. Remember when we covered Irene? Yeah. Uh, she said, no, we can have icons again. No, no, get rid of those buddy Jesuses, says Leo. Uh, we're banning icons once more. But this was a hugely unpopular move. People liked their icons. So Leo, not being an idiot, hatched a plot. He organised a group of men to attack the large statue of Jesus that was just outside the palace. He then had his soldiers remove the statue to keep it safe. So he just starts keeping all the icons safe. <laughs> honest, really safe. Put it in my bedroom. Uh, so, yeah, icons start being gutted out of the city. Uh, and he starts replacing all of the uh, the clergy with iconoclasts. Do you think secret, secretly he was actually really into icons? He just kept them stored in his bedroom. He's like, I love icons. <laughs> oh, he They're just wanted mine. all the icons. He's just, yeah, he's just an addict oh, to icons. Yes, maybe that is exactly what it is. Yeah. Uh, lots of fighting takes place within the church. Fisticuffs at dawn kind of thing. Also, by this time, Leo and Michael have fallen out. Oh. Uh, Leo was spying on his friend and was told by his spy that Michael wanted to usurp Leo and wed his wife. Leo didn't fly off the handle. He just sent a word to his friend, I know what you're up to, cut it out. Yeah. But Michael didn't. So Leo then puts Michael on trial and Michael is found guilty and locked up into a room in the palace. I'm going to keep you close to my wife. Well, interestingly, Leo, by this point, was just really angry and wanted to put Michael in the furnaces below the baths oh, so he would, uh, he would burn to death. Um, it, oh. Leo's wife talked him out of that in a kind of, that's a little bit crazy. <laughs> Maybe don't do that yeah, to your old of, friend. Think of your ranking points. Yes, <laughs> that's what I'm thinking of, <laughs> damn it. I could score in the 40s. <laughs> need to get my probium crazy, I'm up. <laughs> So no, he's just locked up in a room in the palace. Uh, Leo is then having uh, second thoughts. So he goes to visit his old friend, apparently see if he can patch things up. But according to the source, when he gets to the room, Leo saw Michael sleeping as if not a worry in the world. And this really angered Leo. God damn it. He's meant to look all worried and stuff. And look, he's having a nap. So Leo mutters to himself something about having Michael executed as soon as possible. But a boy who was looking after Michael overheard this and then woke Michael up and told Michael. I hope Leo is still in the room at the time. It's like a massive stage uh, whisper. I just <laughs> heard Leo said. No, no. Leo's, Leo's definitely gone right. for reasons you'll see soon see. Uh, because Michael uh, then uses the boy to get out the message. 
a plot is hatched. And the next day, let's see how quickly this comes back to you. The next day was Christmas Day. Oh! Yes! <laughs> yes, we've got the two best deaths oh, in one round. Oh, no. uh, the next day is Christmas Day, and in a chapel in the palace, Leo was singing hymns loudly because he liked to sing loud, apparently. Oh, Christmas tree! Oh, Christmas tree! <laughs> and then suddenly some of the congregation pulled swords and attacked, but... They were attacking from behind, and they attacked the wrong man. Apparently, Leo liked to wear a big hood, but so did one of the bishops. (laughs) (laughs) They got the wrong guy. (laughs) Leo spun round and grabbed something to defend himself. By this time, many had started to run, uh, but Leo was blocked from escaping. So instead, he heads to the front of the chapel, and he grabs the only weapon he can find, a large, sturdy cross. But he was so against, he was such an iconoclast. See, this is why this is why he loved them secretly. He'd been training like ninja style, yes. spinning like cross nunchucks and stuff, <laughs> whizzing round just a statue of Jesus around his head. Like this, this can help me one day. Yes. Oh, I love my icons. Did. I love my icons. Well, uh, the assassins by this time are onto him, so they approach. Leo swings his cross wildly. The fighting starts. Um, Leo is hit on the head and the arm with a sword, but not enough to kill him, but he's bleeding heavily. And uh, presumably he managed to land some blows with the cross himself. You could argue he'd crossed swords with them. (laughs) Oh, oh, oh. I wonder if you made that joke last time. I honestly don't know. More than likely, knowing me. That's a good joke. I I like it. And if you didn't last time, uh, it's a little bonus. See? Yeah. Yeah, Thanks, listeners. Thanks for hanging around all this time. See, interestingly, um, I'll, I'll have to look into the actual source material rather than just looking at my own notes again. But in my head, he's standing on the altar whilst doing oh, this. Definitely. But I don't mention this in my notes, so I don't know whether that's an embellishment we made. Oh, he definitely <laughs> Maybe was. Is. He definitely was. He took the high ground. He was an Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, it makes sense, doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's over, assassins! I have the high ground! <laughs> <laughs> Do not underestimate our powers. <laughs> Or the assassins just going, I hate you! (laughs) (laughs) The assassins jumps off and he's just chopped to bits by the cross. (laughs) Oh, it's great stuff. Uh, (laughs) But unlike in uh, the Star Wars prequel films, uh, there was more than one attacker. Uh, So... (laughs) Yeah, Leo starts to tire. He can't fight anymore. He recognises one of the assassins. Uh, He swears an oath to God and begged the man to spare him. Collapsed to his knees. And the man replied, This is not a time for swearing oaths, but a time for killing. And then he raises his sword. Leo raises the cross, but it's no match. Leo's right arm is cut through. (laughs) The cross and the arm tumble to the floor. Classic Star Wars. Classic Star Wars. At this point, Leo's screaming, I hate you! (laughs) (laughs) And then he is struck in the head with a sword and his head is severed from his body. And then fade to black. And then fade up again because his body is lifted up by a bunch of priests. (laughs) (laughs) And then fade to black and then fade up again. (laughs) (laughs) The new emperor. my wife <laughs> she died with your anger well no no the wife uh, getting to know Michael so uh, <laughs> oh I'm even worse no or the icons collapsing on themselves <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
We didn't do this before. Why not? <laughs> I don't know. It was already the best death, and now now it's even better. Or arguably worse. <laughs> anyway, that's the O five. <laughs> Fightius Maximus 15, <laughs> Probium Crasium uh, 5, uh, Successor Sortimus 12, Imagophacius 3, Temo Completo 0.88, a reasonable score of 35.88, ranking 18th overall. Oh. Okay. <laughs> and let's do our last one, shall we? The last emperor to be drawn in the rounds, it is Maurice, 582 to 602, uh, from the Justinian dynasty. Maurice was born in Cappadocia in 539. Look how far back we've gone. Yeah. Uh, during the reign of Justinian, his father was a powerful man who lived in the capital. At some point, Maurice got a job working for the head of the excubitors. Mm. Uh, this was Tiberius, future Tiberius II. Uh, when Tiberius became emperor, he promotes Maurice to the head of the excubitors himself. And then Maurice becomes the head of the armies. And off he goes to fight the Persians. Uh, the Roman forces had not done well against the Persians recently. They'd really struggled. And Maurice was really up against it. Realising that he probably would not win in a head-to-head battle, Maurice bypassed all the Persian forces and just headed into Persian land to cause as much trouble as possible. Now, sources are messy in this time period, but it would appear that Maurice is mostly doing really well in his fighting in the East. This is a tactic that works well for the Empire. He builds up a name for himself, being one of the the best generals. Uh, But word reaches him. Tiberius is dying. So he makes his way back to the capital, and there was talk of Maurice and a man named Germanus taking over as co-emperors. Tiberius didn't have an heir, so let's make these two emperors. But some political manoeuvring goes on, which again, we're not really privy to, uh, but it means that Maurice suddenly finds himself wed to Tiberius II's daughter and made the sole heir. Cool. Uh, And then Tiberius dies, and Maurice becomes the emperor. And he has a look at the empire, and he realises there is no money. No money at all. None. None. And also, Italy is failing, and so's Africa. Oh, this is going terribly. And the war with the Persians is still going on. And the Avars are causing trouble. And this is all really bad. And being emperor, uh, he stayed in the capital, and he sent out generals to do his fighting. This was the norm at the time. Yeah. We're not far from Heraclius here. Remember when we were really impressed that Heraclius went and did his own fighting? That's because people like Maurice didn't, even though he was a good general and he proved himself. Emperors didn't fight. It's like in Sartre where the captain doesn't go down for the away mission. You've got to protect the emperor. You've got to protect the head. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Anyway, the war is continuing in Persia. It's been a long, hard struggle. This was a a decades-long war going on. Uh, Maurice, realising that Italy and Africa were about to revolt decides to um, change things up politically. So he makes them semi-independent. He appoints two exarchs to the two regions and basically says, look, you can rule yourselves, but you are subject to the empire. And this settles things somewhat. I mean, yeah, it does mean the empire doesn't have quite a strong hold on the uh, areas, but it does stop them from full-on revolting. So probably a good move. Uh, Maurice then spends time fighting off the Avars, uh, his forces resulting to guerrilla tactics, long, slow fighting going on there. Money is so tight that he can't afford to pay his all his troops, however, and soon the forces fighting in Persia were close to revolt. But a revolting army were, just as they revolted, attacked by the Persians. As in, they went, right, we're revolting. Oh, who's that on that hill? Uh, <laughs> 
yeah, the Persians attacking them kind of stopped the revolt in its tracks, luckily for Maurice. And then some good news for Maurice at last. The Persian king of kings has been usurped. Hey. And Khosrow too is now in charge. Even better, this Khosrow, fearing the political uncertainty in his empire, was asking Maurice for help. And Maurice gave it. The young king of kings would be grateful to the Romans and perhaps the war would end. And it works. The war comes to an end. The Romans getting the better end of the deal. Hooray! Now, what they weren't to know is this is the Cosro who goes on to fight the Romans in another war that Heraclius eventually wins. But Maurice wasn't to know that, was he? He's, he's got a good end to this war. It's good. Anyway, then with his forces in the east freed up, he's able to focus on the Avars, and the Avars lose some battles, and the Romans are on top there. So, not going too badly for the Emperor. However, the financial troubles are still going on, and the public are just not happy with this emperor. When Maurice tried to save some money by keeping the troops out over winter, instead of bringing them home, they revolted and put a general called Focus in charge. Maurice was worried and called for the heads of the Blues and the Greens. Will you guys help protect the city when Focus gets here? And they said, yes. Anyway... (laughs) It soon became clear that Focus was saying that I'm not revolting for my own sake. I don't want to be emperor. I'll be happy if Maurice's son was in charge or another family member called Germanus. Maurice immediately suspected his son and Germanus of leading the revolt. He had his son publicly flogged. Germanus legged it and claimed sanctuary in the Hagia Sophia, but Maurice ordered Germanus to be dragged out. The public turn on the emperor, and as the public turn on him, the deems go, well, let's not bother actually defending the city then, let's do some looting, because we love looting. So riots start, Focus arrives, and Maurice and his family flee. The family were captured at the harbour, and Maurice was forced to watch his five sons be beheaded one after another before he was beheaded himself. That's Maurice. 17 for Phytius Maximus, 3 for Oprobium Grazium, 15 for Successus Ultimus, uh, 0.75 for Tempo Completo, and 2.50 for... Um, Sorry, 2.50 for Tempo Completo, 0.75 was Imagofacius. A very respectable 38.25, giving him 10th overall, which, uh, when you do the summary... That's not good. No. Were we swayed by the fact that we thought he was French, do you think? I'm getting that feeling, yeah. I mean, glossing over that quickly, what I perhaps didn't go into as much detail as I should have, was just how badly the Empire was doing. Yeah against the Persians and the Avars, and he was able to turn that round. Winning that war against the Persians was a huge deal, and then freeing up the troops to go and put the Avars down was a huge deal. This is why he got his 15 in Successors Ultimus and his 17 in Phytius Maximus. But there aren't many interesting stories that came out of it because we're in a low-source area. Uh, So I stand by the Genesisar, I'm not sure if I stand by him being 10th, but I kind of get the score. Yeah. He's got a struggle to go through today, though, isn't he? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So there we go. I mean, I'm going to say this is the closest of all the rounds in my head, because mm. I just don't know. Do you have opinions? Well, I mean, I, I think Basil's going through. I think that's fair to say. I would not object to Basil going through. My other feeling is probably... E- it, in my head, it's between John and Leo. Not Constantine Eleven. 
Is that last charge at the fall not good enough? I, no, I think that's. I think that's all he needs. It's almost too cool. I mean, it's yeah. I mean gruesome and horrible, but at the same time, it's like that's it. Just let that fade now to black. Yeah. No, I think you're right. Constantine Eleven. Um, I'm glad he was there. He, but he's he's just not as good. No. Um, he did the best out of the worst situation he could be in. Yeah. Okay, I'm happy for Maurice and Constantine Eleven to be out. Yeah. Out of the other three, however, I genuinely don't know. Uh, Basil One, peasant to emperor. In 15 years. I've been teaching 15 Hugely years. Impressive. I'm in the exact same position I was 15 years ago. <laughs> That's a good point. You know what um, I mean? Yeah, uh, and also the, the coup, and then killing his friend, mm. and then and then the stag story. Yeah. Oh. I think he needs to be number one. And then John, John Six. I, I just really like John Six's story. Yes, uh, that Civil War is fascinating, yeah, yeah. and I, I feel like I did. Uh, I was forced to skim over it a lot in this summary, but we did it relatively recently. Yeah. But Leo Five, Leo Five, Star Wars. <laughs> the end. The end is just <laughs> it's incredible. His his death is absolutely amazing. Uh, you've got the. St- Story of the Prophecy, which is amazing as well, yep. him and his two friends. Something that I skimmed over for time reasons. He ends up killing uh, Thomas horribly, horribly, horribly. Yeah. Or was that Michael, actually? Now I'm thinking about it. Might have been Michael, yes. Um, but anyway, Thomas ends up dying. But yeah, the story of the three friends is really good. Yeah. Um, the fact that he's got a friend who he turns on. It's just a lot more of a personal story yeah. with Leo, yeah. rather than... Uh, like Maurice is like here's something an emperor did yeah in terms of on a map where the empire was whereas Leo's story is more personal okay I've and that yeah I, I've I know I know I, which I, I, I yeah I know I feel really sad for John because uh, yeah. I really like John he, no John's great but he's um, clearly in third place but it's got to be the two amazing deaths hasn't yeah. it uh, and not just for the two amazing deaths, because there's other good st- things in their stories, but they are the two things that I remember. Well, um, yeah. But which one is first? You said Basil One goes first. I, I think so, because he did a lot more. He was peasant emperor. That's always good. And that's the thing. Yeah, and that's quite impressive. Okay, I'm happy with that. Okay, Basil One first, Leo Five second. Brilliant. Sorry to. John Six, Constantine Eleven, and Maurice. So, Jamie, we have our semi-finals. Hey, I'm going to say. Oh no, no! Before semi-finals, let me call it right now. Then I'm going to tell you who went through all the rounds for our listener vote because it's been continuing. I know I've mentioned some of them before, uh, but I didn't close them. So here are our listener votes. So round one, we had Anastasius end up winning that one by quite a while. And then second place was Romanos 1, which is exactly what we said. Well done us. Slight correction there from editing Rob. Uh, we put Anastasius in second and Romanos 1 in first, which is flipped from the public vote. So uh, same two emperors. We still got that right, but slight difference. Anyway, back to Pass Me and Pass Jamie. Round two, uh, we had Justinian II 
first and Justinian one second, yeah. which is exactly what we said. Well done us. Uh, then round three, we had Basil two, the overwhelming winner, um, which is what we said. And then yep. in second place, we had Leo three, just getting there, which I, I believe is what we said, Jeremy. Yeah. Then round four, uh, we have Andronicus, the overwhelming winner, scoring double the second place. Um, and then second place, we have Alexios one, which uh, Jamie, I don't know if you noticed. That's what we said. Oh, that's good. That's pretty good. Uh, round so, five. The question is, though, uh, have we conditioned our listeners? Have we conditioned our listeners, or are we pandering, Jamie? Are we pandering to no, the listener base? I don't know. Or is it just, is all this a foregone conclusion? I don't know. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, next round, uh, Heraclius, overwhelming winner, uh, which mm. is exactly what we said. Uh, close to second place. It was Theophilus. Jamie is exactly what we said <laughs> oh wow amazing so it's just and I've, i literally have not looked at this for about um two weeks for round six so i don't know what we're about to see here so number one was <gasps> jamie we have finally gone against the public hey number one was constantine 11 really yeah I understand why. It, this is the closest of all the rounds. Um, yeah. yeah, I understand why. Constantine 11 comes first in the listener rounds. Uh, and then in second place, it's very close, was Basil. Um, Leo 5 lost. Really? Yeah. Fewest votes. Wow, controversial. But uh, you had the cross thing. Had the cross thing. Maurice, came, Maurice came in third. Uh, and then John 6. Interesting. That's interesting. Very interesting. So mm-hmm. when we do, and we will do this, the listeners' semi-finals, it's going to be almost identical to our semi-finals, with just yeah. a slight difference. But let's talk through the semi-finals, shall we? Then our first semi-final, Jamie, is going to be Romanos one, Justinian two, Leo three, and Alexios one. Nice. Our second semi-final is going to be Basil two, Andronicus, Theophilus, and Leo five. And then our third semi-final is Heraclius, Basil 1, Anastasius, and Justinian 1. Ooh, I think I think semi-final 3 is going to be the hardest one to call. Yeah. Having Heraclius <laughs> and Justinian 1 in there. Anastasius is also a good favourite. And let's face it, we did really enjoy Basil today. So Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But that's our semi-finals. And uh, that will be next time. But we're going to have a little bit of a break before we do the semi-finals, so we can catch up on some American episodes. And uh, also, I need to prepare for intelligent speech, so I need yeah. to get all that written. Um, so When's that, Rob? November the fourth, Jamie, and you can go ah, and get tickets right now. Go and get tickets by going on intelligentspeech.com, um, buying the tickets, and we're going to be looking at the many backup plans of Didius Julianus. Uh, so I, I need to get writing that because it's fast approaching. Uh, yeah, yeah. use your old notes, it's fine. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, so, okay, well, thank you very much for listening. And thank you for downloading us wherever you do, whether it's Podbean, Stitcher, Amazon, iTunes, you'd know where, but thank you. It's, um, we really like it. And thank you for leaving reviews as well because um, it sort of bunks you up in the, the podcasting thing and yes. more people have access. Oh, good. We like, we love attention. Yeah. Jamie, four more episodes. What? That's it. Four more. No. And we're done. No. Yeah. (laughs) Goodbye. Goodbye.
And this is the BBC's coverage of Jared Wins. And CNN sponsored by 7-Eleven. Good, good, good. Yes, I'm terribly sorry to all our listeners. Yes, if you uh, were not quite aware, um, obviously my beloved co-host, Winston, obviously has, has, has gone to the early chariot race in the sky and he will be dearly missed. And despite really, really quite intense objections, I have been given a new co-host. My name, obviously, is Cuthbert Mountbatten, that is Lord Cuthbert Mountbatten III, 4th Duke of Toxington, and I'm here with Chad. Chad, all the way from Texas! My God, I'm so happy to be here! You guys have inspired us for years and years! Unfortunately, my friend Hickory, he's on the other side trying to do what he can, but you guys have held us up! We look up to you, your integrity, your strength. You guys are legends in the U.S. Quite. Anyway, uh, ch Chad, is it just Chad? Is that short for anything? It's short for Chad. Double D. Right. One D is a short name. Okay. Well, thank you, Chadwick. Um, at, at this point, Winston usually would be running through the contestants. Well, I sure as hell can do that. In the first line, uh, we've sorry, got... Sorry, sorry, Chad. Chattery, um, if you could watch the language. Rasher is beep, can go through this with us. We've in the first lane, we have Constantine Eleven. What a guy. Look at those muscles. Look at the strength. Look at the sweat and determination in his eyes. Yes, Constantine Eleven, uh, the, the last of our contestants, uh, he is, um, he is a popular one. He is a popular one. I know Winston was looking, looking forward to this this one, a favorite of Winston's there, but still, stiff off a lift, what, what, yes, and uh, who's next, who's, who's next, chat father. I just love the way you guys talk, it's so beautiful, it brings a tear to my American eye, and in the second lane we got Basil. Basil, yes, Basil uh, is, is in the second uh, lane, uh, Basil, uh, one chariot, two horses, um, a fine, fine, <sighs> yes, what a, who's next? Hey, good lord, who's it there in the third lane? It's John Six, what a legend, what a guy, look at the fireworks all around, and the smoke machine, he is a legend. Yes, John, John Six in the chariot with his good friend Andronicus Three there. The two of them riding together, inseparable, good friends. I, I do believe that Andronicus Three will be a good, good support for, for John Six there. Uh, Winston, what do you... I mean, ch Chad, Chad Three, Chad, 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 or Chad, what do you think? I think he's in a damn good spot there. And just look at his horse eye. That's a fine stallion. That's a damn fine stallion. They're the kind of stallions we ride all across the prairies. Oh, that's a very good point. You'll, you'll have horses over there, won't you? You probably do actually know what you're talking about when it comes to horses. Well, yeah, the horse, the Equus cabalus, is the hoof herbivorous mammal of the family Equidae. It comprises a single species, Equus ecabalus, whose numerous varieties are called breeds. They're amazing beasts, absolutely amazing. Oh, oh good God. Well, that's, that's actually rather splendid, thank, thank you. Chad. No problem. And we can see in lane four, they got 
the Lionheart, the legend, Leo Five. Yes, yes, yeah. Oh, Lion, Lionheart. I see what you did there. Yes, um, quite. Leo, uh, Leo Five with uh, one chariot, one horse, but the chariot uh, lined with uh, what look like icons, uh, but uh, the words "these are not icons" have been written all over them. We can see there is massing graffiti all the way over his horse, all the way over his carriage. There we can see crosses. We can see what looks like the Dead Sea Scrolls strapped to the tail of the horse. So many things. What a guy. Yes, and uh, and then finally it's Maurice. Maurice is in the final uh, lane with uh, just him on a horse uh, and a baguette. He's so French. Yes, and I think there's one thing we can both agree on, Chad, is that we hate the French. They bring damn fine statues. Damn fine statues. Of course they were on your side, weren't they? Yes, I always forget that. Yes. Anyway, so here we are. The race is about to begin, and... Um, uh, any any words before the final arrow is shot, uh, Chad? Hot damn! And the bull's released! And, and we're going! And we're going! And we're racing! And we're racing! And here we are! And oh, it's, it's, it's chaos! Absolutely chaos at the start! All five contestants are just smushed into each other! They are crammed together like sardines in a can! They are vying for first place! And oh, he's pulling a steel chair! Constantine's got a steel! Oh, no, 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 it's just a sign. Uh, yes, Con Constantine Eleven seems to have pulled, pulled ahead. He is now in the lead. Uh, it's uh, unexpected. He's not a favourite for today, but he is definitely winning. Uh, and as we go into the next straight, we can finally pick out an order here. We have Constantine Eleven, and then it is Basil One and Leo Five pretty much neck and neck. But as we move the camera forward to the first lane, Constantine, he's in the first position. And oh my god, the audience are not happy. They are throwing things at him. They're attacking him. Uh, feeling very sorry for the chat for myself. Um, uh, uh, to be honest, I'm feeling quite bad about the comments I made about the French earlier. Um, I'm, I'm feeling emotional today. I actually knew a French man once. A fine, fine chap. Uh, he, he delivered the food properly and uh, with no fuss uh, to my table. Um, yes, so yes, I, I feel sorry for Maurice. Uh, he looks quite upset there, chat. He looks damn sad, but as we move the camera forward to the first lane, Constantine, he's in the first position, and oh my god, the audience are not happy. They are throwing things at him, they're attacking Yes, but this is quite a surprise. I mean, Constantine wasn't a favorite, but uh, a lot of the crowd seem actually, actually quite actively angry with Constantine Eleven. They seem to be trying to impede his progress. Well, that's a damn, damn shame. And then Basil is Basil. following second. He is maintaining his position. Yes, Basil and Leo, uh, uh, it's hard to separate them. Uh, they're both neck and neck right now. And they go around the hairpin, they go around the hairpin, and uh, no, there's still nothing between them. Uh, but I must say, the crowd is still acting very bizarrely to Constantine Eleven. There was a lot of anger building up in the crowd, and I do not understand why. Have you got any insights here, Chad? Absolutely no idea. But oh my gosh, John Six is taking a hit. He's past Basil, Basil. and always oh, past Constantine Eleven. Oh, yes, yes, John Six and Andromeda. Marcus three together are now in the lead, which is, oh, and the uh, crowd cheer, the crowd cheer. Uh, it's, in fact, it's just one section of the crowd that seemed really angry with Constantine Eleven, and I must say, they do appear to be Ottomans. Uh, it, they definitely look like Ottomans. It's, it's the t-shirts that they're wearing. We can see Leo the Lionheart, he's kissing his icons. He is kissing them right on the mouth. Yes, uh, there's a lot of icon kissing, and, um, 
the crowd aren't happy with that, but he's he's screaming something. I can't quite hear him. It's something along the lines of there aren't icons. It doesn't count. I'm not sure what that's about, but uh, but yeah, we go back to the front of the pack. There's John Six and Andronicus. They're pulling away now, which uh, is oh oh good god, Jack! Yeah. Can you see this? Andronicus three has just fallen off the back of the wagon. Oh my gosh, that's gonna affect John Six massively. This is the most exciting thing I've ever seen in my life. Well, that far, but yes, it is definitely exciting. Definitely exciting. He has fallen off the back of the chariot. Um, I said wagon a moment ago. No, I, I believe he's still on the wagon, as it were. Uh, those rumors uh, are true. Uh, but no, he's off the chariot, and he is uh, he's, he, he is dead, and John Six is now on his... Uh, no, no, he's not on his own. There's someone else in the chariot. It appears to be a child. He is so small, it must be a it, child. I believe that's John Five. It is five. John Five. It's well, well recognized there, chat. Well done. Uh, yes, it is John, it's John Five, and they're, they're having an argument, and the chariot is slowing to a crawl, and all of the gains that John Six made is evaporating immediately. John Six, Godstein 11 passes, Godstein 11 passes back in the lead, and Basil and Leo pass as well. John Six back into fourth place. Oh, he must be devastated. If I could interrupt this, we need a word from our sponsors. No, we're on the BBC. Carry on. Have you ever had hemorrhoids? No, no. Well, we've got chat, the thing chat, for you. Chat, chat, The BBC, we don't do adverts. Get the new Ventablin. Chat, chat. I must Ventablin insist. is the way. Speak to your medical professional. Sorry, what was that? Oh, it's Ventablin. Vent, Ventablin, what's that? Ventablin cures hemorrhoids. Hemorrhoids? Yeah. Do you have anything for crippling anxiety, depression, and dealing with the loss of your friend, wife, and son? Let's change our sponsor. Excellent. Right. Well, I'll look forward to hearing uh, from you about that. Uh, anyway, back, back, back to the race. Uh, we have Constantine Eleven in chat, and the crowd still aren't happy with him. But yes, it's definitely that section. It's the Ottoman section of the crowd. You can tell they're Ottomans. They're all wearing T-shirts saying "We are Ottomans." Uh, it, it makes them stand out. Oh, they are invading the the, the the race course. They are on the race course. They are streaming right in, and they appear to be heading towards the finish line. And grouping up, this is very strange. This is damn, damn strange. This is very strange. They're attacking pretty much everyone right now. This is a crowd invasion. The Ottomans have invaded. Everyone has to look out for themselves right now. I uh, see Leo Five is pulling out a large cross. A large cross. He's pulling out a large cross. I think it's more than a cross. It looks to me like a crucifix. You can see the little Jesus standing there, or lying there, and he is swinging it around. Oh, and there goes a head of a protester. Um, yes, uh, it's oh, all the way back into the crowds. The rest of the crowd are cheering. Um, Leo Five really making the most of that cross there. Oh, and that's embedded into another Ottoman there. Oh, well, Leo Five seems to have cleared the crowd. Uh, how's everyone else faring? They're doing pretty well. We can see Maurice, he's still waving his baguette around. That's pretty good. John Six, he slowed right down. In fact, Maurice, I believe, is about to overtake oh, well, him. Maurice takes John Six. John Six is in huge trouble now. And uh, he's been swapped. He's been swapped by the protesting Ottomans. And he is being ripped to pieces. Ripped to pieces by the Ottomans. It's tragic oh, to see. Oh, they are tearing out his innards there. There are the intestines all over the road. I don't believe he can come back from this. No, it's not looking good. Basil, Basil One swerves, swerves around the protesters. He's made it past the group. Uh, Constantine Eleven managed to get past, uh, but he's so far in front right now that 
he's he's going to be he's going to be going around the track, and he's going to hit that crowd of protesters again any moment now. And I and I don't know how he's going to deal with this. I don't know, because I'm pretty sure most of the audience thinks he's going to come in first place. This will be a massive disappointment to them. And Constantine takes the last turn, and. He goes he's going! He's going! Oh, he's definitely going to win. There is no stopping Constantine 11 now. He is doing amazingly well, and he goes into the crowd of protesting Ottomans, and... He's not come out the air. Chad! What's going on? Chad! Good God, Chad. He's not come out. Chad! What's going on? He's gone! I don't... He's gone! He's gone. He's gone in a blaze of glory. The crowd are now dispersing, they're leaving the track. Uh, there was just nothing left of Constantine 11. He appears to be out of the race, so that means the race is now just Basil 1, Leo 5, and Maurice. We can see Maurice is French fans. They are not happy with this, he's still at the back. Maurice is so far behind, I don't think he's gonna be able to catch up. This race is purely between Basil 1 and Leo 5 now. I think that's the way it's gonna go. Basil 2, Basil. he's moving along with Oh my god, what's that just leaping over that fence? It appears to be a giant stag, Chad. A giant stag. I, I, I'm guessing you have stag in, in the colonies. We have moose. So big they tear your face off. Moose? That's fascinating. Yeah, they come in strawberry flavored, banana flavored, and apple. Oh, really? Yes. It's a great place to be. You should visit one day. You'd love it. But no, no, it does sound sound quite interesting, I suppose. I did, did, I mean, me and my wife were going to visit for our honeymoon, uh, but uh, duty called. There was a race that weekend, what? Um, but, yes, no, maybe. And now, word from our sponsor. But again, BBC, we don't need to do this. Are you always feeling sad? Uh, you got crippling anxiety? Uh, well, we have the thing for you. Well, yes, actually. Um, yes, no, I have been feeling that way recently. Ash practitioner for laudanum, an opiate-based derivative that makes the grayest days the bluest days full of rainbows and sunshine. Really? Symptoms can include extreme diarrhea, crippling headaches, blindness, erectile dysfunction, and death. Speak to your medical practitioner today. Well, I have most of those side effects anyway, so what's there to lose? I mean, do you have any of this stuff? Well, yeah, we just buy what we want. Here you go, have a pair of sachet. Oh, thank you very much, Chad. I don't know what to do. I just, uh... Okay, let's see if that kicks in. And, um, right, back to the race. So Basil 1 and Leo 5 are neck and neck now. Uh, it is still really close between the two. Uh, but the crowd's attention is definitely on this stag that just jumped into uh, the stadium because the stag is also pulled up beside them. We have Basil 1, Leo 5, and a stag neck and neck. Who is going to win? It seems very strange. That stag seems to be eyeballing Basil <laughs> quite long. <laughs> Basil. <laughs> yeah. 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 I like that. I like it's so it. good. Yes, no. Oh, I'm feeling good. Okay, right. Yeah, we've got Basil and we've got Leo uh, and, and a stag. Have you ever seen a stag? No, it's got giant moose. It's, 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 like, it's, it's like it's got like things on its head. Yeah, they're massive antlers. Did you know they fall off once a year? No. Yeah, they do. They're like teeth. Ah, oh, Dad, that's a damn good fact. Yeah. And we can see the stag. He's lifting his antlers underneath. Oh, he's got it going in Basil's belt. <laughs> Look at it. It's flopping. Flopping the wrong place. The stag's <laughs> running. Basil's back his belt. He is screaming for help. <laughs> he's running towards the line. He's past the finish line. Oh, he's won. He's won. He's screaming. He's screaming. Basil he's screaming. has come in. But he's won. Oh, Basil wins. Basil. <clears throat> Basil. Basil wins. Ba Basil. Ba <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, Leo, but sorry, Chad, if you could just, just, just for a moment, just carry on. That's actually fine. We can see it's now almost neck and neck between Leo Five and Maurice. Maurice is trying his best. He's hitting that horse. He's macking it, but he cannot do it. Oh, he's putting out a steel chair, just like in WWE. He's going to hit Leo. Leo overtakes. He's gone past him. He's gone past the finish line. He has won. Leo Five is coming second. Maurice, a very disappointing third. I can see the French aspect of the audience. They are not happy. And how are you? No, I'm pretty good. I, chat, chat, chat. It is chat, isn't it? It damn sure is. Will you be my friend, chat? Oh my God, I'd love to be your friend. I've respected you since I was a child. I remember my grandpappy would put you on the radio. We'd listen to you every Sunday after church. You're like a mentor to me. I, I, it's just, I'm, I'm going to say it. Um, I'm starting to feel like repressing all the feelings it's not quite as fun uh, I, 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 can I come to America with you you damn sure can in fact I'm gonna do you one better you said you got a wife uh, not anymore tragic train accident oh yes yeah, sorry for bringing that up have, have you got a child <laughs> orphanage uh, Funny story about the orphanage. Uh, it burnt down. <laughs> well, I can have something to make you feel a lot better. Here, because if you help me throughout my childhood, yeah. I'm gonna give you this one flat ticket, one way to Las Vegas. Oh, God, Chad. It's been an honor to do this program with you. And I'm just going to announce now that I have been Cuthbert Mantfatten, and this is my final final report for the chariot races from the BBC. I'm off to get <laughs> yee and ha. And I'm Chad, and thank you for listening on CNN, sponsored by 7-Eleven. BBC. 7-Eleven. Good evening. Dynasty. Oh, how's that? Uh, I thought I had something set up, and I don't. How are you feeling after the first bit? Uh, okay, a bit lightheaded, but I'll be fine. It's not saying random words. Yeah, just just Why let me know. Why shining on my knees? As, as, as soon as it stops making any sense whatsoever, yeah. like more so than normal, just let me know. <laughs> there is no Amorian Dynasty. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, the Amorian Dynasty. This is Leo V, Michael II, Theophilus, who we have covered, Theodora, and uh, Michael III.